Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this latest edition of our podcast, it's time to look at the Big 12. Big 12 predictions, all Big 12. We will be talking to Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State, the top freshman in the country. Fran Fischel, the ESPN College basketball analyst. And then we're going to move out of the Big 12 for a couple of topics. McCormaker and Kenny Blakeney from Howard University. McCormaker, a trailblazer. He could have gone and played anywhere on the globe. Could have gone in the NBA draft. He chooses Howard and HBCU. He's a trailblazer. We will talk to him and his head coach, Kenny Blakeney. And Chad Aycock from Turner Sports joins me as we break down the top freshmen in the country. As we get ready for the Big 12 discussion, my power rankings for the Big 12, Baylor, Kansas, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, K-State, TCU. Fran will break that down with me. My all-Big 12 team, Jared Butler from Baylor, Marcus Garrett from Kansas, Austin Reeves from Oklahoma, Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State, and Oscar Shibwe from West Virginia. As we get ready for the season to start on November 25th, we still don't have all the schedules. That's all still happening. We know that the ESPN Orlando events have moved and scattered. The Champions Classic and the Jimmy V Classic, they're still trying to find destinations. There's been new events that have happened with Gonzaga now playing Kansas and Fort Myers. That's a big-time game in November opening night. The Jayhawks... Uh, choosing to do that after the Orlando thing imploded. Uh, Gonzaga playing Kansas. Iowa and South Dakota. Baylor and Indianapolis. They've got a great schedule. Tennessee and the Jimmy V still TBD in terms of a destination. The Mohegan Sun still on as we discussed last week. The ACC Big Ten Challenge was announced December 8th and 9th. Home sites, great to see that. Big 12 Big East Challenge still happening. So major games still occurring. Before we get to conference play, we've seen conference play being announced. Big East in December. Big 10 will start in December. ACC will start in December. Big 12 starting December. Pac-12 starting December. Um, so they're all going to start in December, mid to late. All those other conferences we discussed, a lot of those one-bid leagues looking at playing consecutive days, Friday, Saturday, uh, with the same team at one site. So a lot to unpack. Next week, I think we should start to have real schedules to dissect. And next week, we're going to talk about the Big Ten on our podcast as we get closer and closer and closer to the start of the season on November 25th. It's crazy. We're finally getting games. All right, let's get to our Big 12 discussion. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Fran Fraschilla from ESPN, former head coach all over the country, St. John's, New Mexico. Fran, you have covered the Big 12 now for how long for ESPN? Wow. Probably since 2003 or four. It's been a long time. It's been a good run, by the way. Uh, I've seen some good basketball. The league is great. And uh, hopefully, even in this crazy year we're, that we're about to undertake, that uh, the league should still be strong, Andy. Very strong, in fact. 
All right, so let's break it down. And I also do want to leave out the Jaspers, great run in Manhattan, assistant at Providence, Ohio State. Am I forgetting one of your assistant stops? University of Rhode Island, one of the few people to ever coach at both uh, schools in the Ocean State. Oh, that's right. All right, so you've covered it since, I think you said, 03. I don't remember the last time that a team not named Kansas was picked to win at the beginning. We know they've won, is it 14 out of the last 15? Man, I've lost track, something like that. I think it's 14 out of 15. I'm sure I'll be corrected if I'm off by one. But Baylor is the choice. We agree on that. We'll deal some tiers here as we go down one through 10. But Baylor's the choice. Why? Well, they uh, they return a lot of really good players. Their backcourt is really deep. They've got four players, three of whom have already played and proven themselves. And also Adam Flagler, another transfer in the backcourt. Those four guys are all Big 12, all-conference level players. Maybe not first team, all of them, but certainly Jared Butler. But in Teague and Flagler and Davion Mitchell, to go along with Jared Butler, Andy, those are as good a foursome of guards as there is in the country. They will play four guards this year. Um, and then they, they're going to miss Fred Gillespie, but they have depth up front, including Matthew Meyer and, of course, Mark Vidal, who is not a glue guy. He's kind of a crazy glue guy because he does so many things well. All right, so we agree on that. They were number one for quite a while last season. Had there been an NCAA tournament, they would have been one of the teams that everyone would have looked at, you know, certainly to get to the Final Four. But Kansas, always knocking on that door. If they're not the favorite, you can never count them out. Why is that also the case this season? Well, you agree that they're clearly Baylor, the number one pick in this league. Yes. You know, but uh, I I don't see it that way. And not that they don't deserve to be number one. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, you know what I mean, right? Um, because I don't want Bill Self mad at me, especially when he's got a, I wouldn't say an underrated team, but I think when you lose Azubuki and, and uh, Devon Dotson like they do, you you don't expect them to drop off because it doesn't matter who leaves. Uh, it doesn't matter if the Morris Twins leave, if Thomas Robinson graduates, if Devontae Graham leaves. You always expect Kansas to be good, and they will be. And I think they will compete with Baylor at the top of the league, along with a couple other teams, by the way. But uh, what you have is uh, probably one of the deepest teams Bill Self's ever had. Now, there's no one-and-done guy on this roster. Um, and that might be, quite frankly, because with the you know, ongoing investigation, I'm not sure they've been able to attract maybe the elite, elite guys, but he has some really good players. And when you start at Kansas this year, you start with Marcus Garrett, not only the defensive player of the year last year in college basketball, according to the Naismith Award, but a six-foot-six point guard, a coach on the floor, an incredible teammate and locker room guy, and he is their team leader. But then you have Ochai Abaji, Christian Braun, David McCormick to, to start, and that is a good group. Some newcomers coming in um, and to go along with those guys, some guys that have you know been on the back burner like Tristan Anaruna, who played a little bit last year. It's going to be a deep team. I like this Kansas team. All right, so I, I like to think in the preseason. I mean, when I was saying the overwhelming favorite, I would say the overwhelming favorite in terms of projections. We already saw the Big 12 on Thursday. They announced their preseason poll, and Baylor was one. But here's why I like to go in tiers. So the question is, is tier one only too deep with Baylor and Kansas? Or would you go at least three, four, five teams of tier one? And to me, a tier one team is a team that could win the league. Yeah, no, I think that is absolutely correct. I think I think besides Kansas and Baylor, you have to consider West Virginia with an NBA-sized front line. 
You're talking about Culver and Sheboy. Add the freshmen, especially Isaiah Cottrell from Vegas. Um, they've got uh, Jalen Bridges, who redshirted last year, an in-state kid. Deuce McBride, a sophomore in the backcourt. Tash Sherman, Sean McNeil, two guys who got a lot of experience last year. Emmett Matthews, now a junior, a left-handed 6'7", small forward. Um, this is a really, really deep uh, West Virginia team. It's interesting about West Virginia this year, Andy. They have the requisite size and toughness that Bob Huggins likes to have. But they also, I think, will ha- will be much improved in the backcourt. And uh, I have a feeling that this, this is a team that can compete for the top of the league. I would not rule out Texas Tech because no matter who leaves, Jared Culver, Zaire Smith, um, eight starters in two years that went to an Elite Eight and a Final Four. I didn't say five starters. I said eight starters that graduated from those teams. And Chris Beard's team was still competitive last year. I expect them to be right at the top of the league with those others. And then, you know, Texas is another team. Some people think it's the deepest team in the league. And uh, they finished on a high note last year. So that's five right off the bat. Oh, and I didn't mention Oklahoma State, who's got the consensus high school number one player in the country in Kate Cunningham, who's on his way. Yeah, I want to get to the Cowboys here in a moment. Let me stop you there. Because with Texas Tech, you know, with uh, Marco Santos Silva, the transfer from VCU, we know he's eligible. We're still waiting to see if Mac McClung, the transfer from Georgetown, is eligible, which would be a big difference for them in the backcourt. So, uh, and then with Texas, you've got, obviously, Matt Coleman, Andrew Jones, Greg Brown, who could have gone to the G League developmental team, decides to come and play for Shaka. So the question is, though, if we have to put a line of a Tier 1, do you include Texas? Or are they in their own grouping with an Oklahoma State? And the Tier 1 goes, you know, Baylor, Kansas, West Virginia, Texas Tech in some order. Is that Tier 1 a foursome? I think that's fair because, you know, Texas, quite frankly, we all think on paper they have a quality team and they finished really strong last year. And I have all those guys back, but I think we've got to see them do it in the early season. Um, They finished strong. We give them credit for that. But, yeah, I think you're right. Um, They're certainly capable of being a Tier 1, but I personally, not yet. Show me. But obviously, tier one, I definitely put Texas Tech. The thing about Texas Tech, Andy, is people have never heard of Kevin McCuller. They've never heard of Terrence Shannon. They've never heard of uh, even Kyler Edwards, who played 20-some-odd minutes in the national championship game as a freshman. Um, So they're continually developing their own stars. Then you add Santos Silva. You add Burton from Wichita State, who's eligible. They're waiting on Mac McClung. They have some freshmen. I mean, Micah Peavy and, and Namari Burnett are two of the best freshman recruits they've ever signed there. And Namari, I believe, might be the first McDonald's All-American. So Chris Beard, he's got a formula. It's in the dirt, as they say out there. The culture's been built. And no matter who's playing for them, you always got to keep in mind that they're going to probably be in that Tier 1. All right, so let's go to Tier 2, where I think we just talked about Texas. I would put the two Oklahomas in tier two. uh, And then I would push me on this. If the bottom three teams that we'll get to momentarily, if any one of those three should go into tier two, but I kind of feel like tier two is Texas and the two Oklahomas. What do you think? I think so. I think so. I've seen uh, both Oklahoma and Oklahoma state already in person, safely distancing, I might add, but I have seen them both in person. Let's take Oklahoma first Um, with Brady Manick and Austin Reeves. You've got, two all big 12 level players. I mean, and Austin Reeves, I believe was voted first team after, and that's recency bias because the last game he played last year, he had 41 at TCU. 
And Brady Manick has uh, been a four-year solid, you know, Larry Bird-looking guy who can make threes and he plays with toughness. He rebounds. So I love those two guys. You expect a step-up year from sophomore Davion Harmon, one of the best recruits in the country. And uh, they've got a solid starting five. Unlike Oklahoma State, who has a star in the making in Cade Cunningham, but when I walked into their gym last week, I had a flashback, and you remember this, to the early 2000s and Eddie Sutton coaching a long, athletic, deep team. So it's not just Cade. Isaac likely is healthy. The Boone twins are both filling out. They're both 6'9". A lot to like up in Stillwater. Tier 2 is safe for now, but they do have a kid who potentially could be one of the top three draft picks in 2021 in Cade Cunningham. All right, so Tier 3 then would be Iowa State, Kansas State, and TCU. Of the three, who has the best chance to climb out of the bottom group into a Tier 2? You know, I, I got to go K-State and Iowa State. They're both capable of it. But uh, Iowa State's got Rasir Bolton back, the Penn State transfer, who had a good year. I expect big things out of the George Condit, a junior, six foot ten kid from Chicago. Also, uh, Jason, uh, was it uh, Coleman Lands, the transfer from DePaul. And for K-State, the best recruiting class Bruce Weber has had there, uh, coming off probably his worst year at K-State, Keep your eye on Dejuan Gordon to make a big step up as a sophomore. Mike McGurl's a senior. I like those guys. For TCU, who I think right now I'd have to put him in tier three and, and towards the bottom, uh, Kevin Samuel, 6'11", junior from Barbuda, beautiful island of, uh, in the Caribbean. Kevin is uh, one of the best couple big men in the league, and that's a good starting point for Jamie Dixon. All right, in terms of an all-Big 12, Jared Butler, Marcus Garrett, Cade Cunningham, uh, to me, those are your three locks. Then after that, here's my question. Do you put in Oscar Shibway? Then do you put in Austin Reeves, or is it Brady Manick? Do you give some love to someone from Texas Tech or Texas? How would you fill out the spots maybe four and five if I'm locking in Butler, Garrett, and Cunningham? Yeah, I've never been a preseason guy for that reason, because you're going to leave somebody off, and then they're going to they're going to tell me in February, hey, how come you didn't have me on your first team? See how well I'm playing? But no, I think certainly either Manic or Reeves from Oklahoma will get love. And I know Austin Reeves has been voted by the um, maybe the coaches or media, whatever they voted on, that was that he was first team. But Brady Manic is in that mix. Certainly down to Texas, Andrew Jones has stepped up big time. Uh, and he's finally healthy, and he's an amazing story, obviously. We all know what he's battled. And then out in uh, out in Texas, uh, out in Lubbock, uh, you know, Kyler Edwards should be stepping up big. But I like Kevin McCuller and Terrence Shannon. That's three guys that could uh, make some noise. And listen, Derek Culver and Deuce McBride. If, if there's a dark horse first-team guy uh, at the end of the season when you check back with me, I would say Deuce McBride at, at – uh, at WVU has a chance to be a uh, one of the best sophomores in the country. And he's a team leader, and he had a great rookie year, averaging 10 points a game. All right, last thing, Fran, going back up to Tier 1, of the four teams we listed, Baylor, Kansas, West Virginia, and Texas Tech, how many of those four could make it to a Final Four? I have to say all four are capable, Andy. I mean that. All four are capable. And, uh... You know, uh, Texas Tech has the the grit and toughness. West Virginia has a coach that knows how to get the most out of his team. Bill Self has been to the Final Four on numerous occasions. And I think, quite frankly, the most pressure of any of those coaches is probably on Scott Drew because 
He's gone from underrated to now people realize he is one of the best coaches in the country, but uh, he is the only guy of that group has not been to a final four. And obviously after passing up or missing out on the opportunity last year, I think he and his Baylor bears are going to feel that uh, maybe not pressure, but that urgency to have a great season and potentially do everything they can to get there. But I honestly believe uh, all four teams are capable of being at least round of 16 teams. Well, Fran, uh, we look forward to your coverage beginning in the early part of the season into the Big 12. We have no idea how that'll look, where we'll be, but uh, I know you'll be a part of it in some form or fashion. Uh, Appreciate it always. You know this league better than anyone. Appreciate it, Andy. Always a pleasure, man. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, time for Cats Ranks here, looking at the top power forwards in college basketball. This would be the Carl Malone Award. And for this one, I wanted to do a little bit differently and put freshmen on the list, but to put them at the bottom because they got to earn it. Maybe I should have done that in the previous rankings, but I got 25 for you. Um, So let's start with the freshmen. These freshmen are going to have a major impact on their respective teams in the front court. Starting at 25, working our way up. Scotty Barnes from Florida State. Greg Brown from Texas. Evan Mobley from USC. And McCore Maker from Howard. Uh, Those four players, okay, are all going to have an impact in their conference, on their team. uh, Probably going to finish much higher up in any kind of ranking. And all of them could have chosen to go to either the G League developmental team played overseas, somewhere else. They chose to come to college basketball. All right, so now let's work 21 up. Hassan French from St. Louis. The Billikens are going to be an A-10, maybe co-favorite with Richmond. They're certainly going to be up in the top two. EJ Liddell from Ohio State. Uh, He's going to be a major factor with Seth Towns uh, in terms of having a role in that front court, and his numbers are going to climb for the Buckeyes. KJ Buffin from Ole Miss kind of uh, unheralded a little bit down in Oxford. I think, you know, if Ole Miss is going to be an NCAA tournament team, Buffin's going to have a lot to do with that. Justin Smith from Arkansas, the Indiana transfer. Eric Musselman's certainly going to get a lot out of Justin Smith. Uh, Throughout the time that uh, I was covering Big Ten in Indiana with Smith there, the coaching staff always was talking so highly of his potential. We'll see if he gets it in Fayetteville. Anton Watson at Gonzaga. Uh, Injured last season at times. Uh, You pair him with Drew Timmy and uh, certainly Corey Kispert. That is quite a front court. Anton Watson is going to have, I think, plenty of productive nights for the Zags. Nate Reavers from Wisconsin, much more of a face-up player, but he worked inside a lot and worked those angles, not as well as Ethan Happ, but he certainly can be productive inside. Matthew Hurd from Duke. Uh, The Blue Devils expect him to have a highly productive season after the departures of Vernon Carey, certainly up front. Brady Manick from Oklahoma, the Larry Bird lookalike. Uh, he'll put up uh, solid numbers for the Sooners. Another team that doesn't get a lot of attention, but they'll be an NCAA tournament type team. Franz Wagner from Michigan, uh, certainly a face-up forward. He can drive and lay the ball in, but uh, you know he certainly, uh, with his decision to come back, that'll help the Wolverines as well. Sandro Mamokalashvili from Seton Hall. He can be a bruiser at times, likes to score facing the basket, but the Pirates, if they're going to be in the NCAA tournament with no Miles Powell, that will have to do with Mamo Kalashvili and his productivity. 
Uh, John Fulkerson from Tennessee, he'll end up being one of the best players in the SEC in his ability to score inside. Another player that doesn't get a lot of attention that I think deserves more so is DJ Funderburg from NC State. And the Wolfpack are going to be one of those bubblicious teams, I think, out of the ACC. Now, let's move into my top 10. Mark Vitale of Baylor, just a loaded Bears team that's going to be ranked somewhere in the top three, I think, consistently throughout the course of the season in the Big 12 favorite. Let's go out to Oregon. Former Rutgers player, Eugene Omarui. Okay, uh, he certainly could be one of the better players in the Pac-12, and I think people almost forgot about him because he transferred from Rutgers. Uh, Trevion Williams from Purdue, uh, with no Matt Harms, he was getting more touches, and that will continue to be the case for the Boilermakers. I think they're an NCAA tournament team. Uh, Trenton Watford from LSU, he'll be one of the better players in the SEC, potential all-first-team SEC player. Derek Culver from West Virginia, uh, you could rotate him or Oscar Shibwe in terms of who's a center, who's a power forward. For these purposes, we'll go with Culver as a player that's going to be highly productive for the Mountaineers. Joey Hauser from Michigan State, transfer from Marquette. He'll be a face-up forward, but certainly can score, driving in the bucket. Amir Sims from Clemson, another player that doesn't get enough recognition. And if the Tigers are going to be at a bubblicious team and in the NCAA tournament, Sims will get the job done. Jeremiah Robinson Earl from Villanova decides to come back. Wildcats, the Big East favorite, top three team. Robinson Earl potentially could lead them to the Final Four. And I think one of the most underappreciated players entering this season, a sophomore power forward from Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis. He could be for sure all first team Big Ten and will challenge with Luka Garza, with Io DeSumo for potential Big Ten player of the year. So that's just 25. There could be more. You could put them in any order you want. And I know I'm going to be challenged by that, but hey, it's up for debate here on Cats Ranks. And now joining me here on March Madness in March Madness 365, Kate Cunningham from Oklahoma State. One of the best players in the country at his position. Uh, certainly one of the best players that we will see this season in college basketball. And, and Kate, I mentioned the position, but I think you could make an argument that uh, you could play multiple positions. I mean, how do you define where you play on the basketball court? Oh, uh, I mean, I don't really try to pick a spot. You know, I just try to play basketball. And, you know, whoever is with me on the court, whatever the other four is, I just kind of find whatever, I guess, position you want to call it and then, you know, do what I have to do. So I wouldn't really give myself a position. I just try to play basketball. You know, to that point, we are seeing, and for anyone that watched the NBA recently or certainly in the bubble, I mean, LeBron James brings the ball up all the time. You wouldn't technically say he's a point guard, but yet he brings the ball up. So, you know, in terms of your skill set, where do you feel most comfortable or where do you feel comfortable on the floor? I feel comfortable, you know, making decisions for my team. And, you know, I feel like, you know, LeBron is such a great decision maker. He has the ball in his hands most of the time. You see that with Kawhi and all the other, you know, jumbo playmakers. So, you know, I'm just trying to follow into their lead and, you know, take what I can from their games, really. I'm not trying to be anything different than, you know, me. So, you know, just figuring it out for myself and being the best I can be. Yeah, and I'm not comparing you to those guys. I just meant in terms of a bigger player who can bring the basketball up and create. So playmaker maybe is a better term for you because you're going to make plays regardless of where you are on the floor. Um, the decision to come to Oklahoma State, obviously your brother's there as an assistant coach. Uh, you've got good genes in terms of your family and your, your parents being athletes and, and you know, with, with your dad being successful. What was that, uh, if you can pull back the curtain a little, 
And I know, you know, you can't say it was a slam dunk just because your brother's there. But at the same time, what went into the decision process? You know, there was a lot that went into it. I think my relationship with Coach Boyden was super important for me because he was the first coach to recruit me, uh, first coach to offer me everything as an assistant coach. So having that relationship already built in, you know, being able to come in and, and talk to him about anything I need to, I think that was super important for me. And just the location, I'm not too far from home, um, not too close. Uh, you know, it's just a, a happy distance and everything's been good so far. So I'm really liking it. So, look, you had a, plenty of opportunities. There were players in your class that chose the developmental G League route. Um, you know, we don't even know when or if they're going to play, what that's going to look like. Uh, you could have gone, over, obviously, overseas. You know, you could have even just sat out. Um, what went into your decision-making to say, you know what, I want to make the attempt to play college basketball and stay with that path? I think having the right people in my corner, you know, I feel like having Cannon here, my older brother, he, you know, just off top, that's somebody I already knew I could trust coming in. So, you know, having that and then Coach Boyd and everybody else, I feel like being around the right people for that one year, you know, or however long I'm here, I feel like that was super important for me because, you know, going overseas, there's a lot of, you know, European or Australian coaches, whatever, they haven't got to see me play very much. So the relationship that I would have with them would be a lot different than Coach Boyden, who's recruited me since I was 14 years old. So, you know, just having that. Having a strength coach, Coach Jake, um, and, you know, knowing that I'll be able to get in with him, you know, regardless of how everything's been going with COVID, I feel like that was all super important for me. And, you know, I've really been seeing the benefits from it. Yeah, and then the other curveball was obviously the decision on the, you know, the postseason with Oklahoma State, and yet you still stayed true to that commitment, which is another remarkable thing about you and your character and all that. So that was sort of the final curveball. What, what went into that? You know, I'd already been in so deep. I had already, you know, made a commitment to Oklahoma State, and I was happy with who I was committing to. I was happy with the environment. And I felt like, you know, after that last, you know, decision to not put us in the tournament, you know, I felt like that still didn't change anything. I knew who I wanted to play for. I knew who I wanted to learn from this year. And so I stuck with it. So what's it been like trying to practice through COVID? You know, it's definitely different for sure. Uh, masks everywhere. You can't hear coaches as well, everything like that. But you know, I think just getting through it and adjusting to it, I think that's the fun part. You know, that's it's a new challenge and being able to take that and still find a way to be as good as you can be through it. I feel like that's important for us. And I think we've really attacked it and I think we're really been getting better. You know, the other thing, Cade, that I don't think gets enough attention is the mental health aspect that, you know, what you as an elite athlete and others like you went through during that time, we couldn't do anything. And then the fact that you're being allowed to do something, and we obviously all hope that there will be games, you know, beginning on November 25th. Um, if you could just put in perspective what it means to just just be out there and actually, you know, practicing and, and running up and down when all that was taken away from so many of you. Man, I mean, it's it's crazy now because whenever everything was going on, you know, there was no telling when we'll be able to play basketball again. So now that we're already back playing and, you know, things are going smooth right now, it's just a blessing. You know, you really start to be grateful for the game whenever you're in practice. And, you know, I'm not as mad when I'm running our 22s that Coach has us run and all that. Not as mad because you know that the game can be taken away at any point. So it's been fun being out there and being able to practice with everybody. So you're not a one-man band on this team. I think you guys were pretty good and should be right in the mix. You know, I know where you guys were predicted, you know, somewhere in that middle group in the Big 12, but certainly you could finish higher. You're there. I'm not. What are you seeing in terms of your teammates as to why this Oklahoma State team 
certainly could be a real a pest for everyone else projected above you in the Big 12. I think pest is a really good word. I think we have a lot of pests on our team. We have a lot of guys that, you know, feel like they're underrated and a lot of guys that are really just trying to go, you know, make a name for themselves. And, you know, I think our grittiness is what's going to put us above, you know, a lot of teams. And, you know, there's no talent right now. It's early, so who knows? But I have a lot of confidence in this team. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of good things that we can really do. So if we're to talk in April, what do you hope that you will be better at between now and then as you make that next decision in your life? I think just being a better teammate. You know, I'm a freshman right now. There's a lot of older guys. You know, we have a kind of younger team, but there's a lot of sophomores, a lot of juniors. So, yeah, I think having that, I feel like, you know, just being the best teammate I can be coming in as a young guy with a lot of, you know, expectations, there's a lot of pressure on, you know, making sure that you're coming in and lead and, you know, make sure that this team gets on the right track. So, just being the best teammate I can be. I know all the basketball stuff will, stuff will take care of itself if I keep working hard. So, I think that's the main thing. And the last thing, Cade, obviously everyone likes to put up big numbers and all that, but what's the aspect of the game when, and you tell me, I don't know if it's your passing, it's defense, you know, even just rotating for a little help side, what's an aspect of the game that maybe doesn't always show up in the stat sheet that you enjoy doing that you know will make you a better overall player? I think winning is the biggest thing for me. If you take any teams I've been on, you know, they win pretty much. I haven't really been on too many losing teams and I don't plan on doing that now. So, you know, being at Oklahoma State, we have a lot of winning pieces. And I just hope to be one of those winning pieces that helps bring it all together. Yeah, and to my point, uh, just, to, you know, winning plays sometimes is not the bucket. It's what you do to, you know, either get possession or help within, you know, a particular, uh, you know, rotation, anything like that. For sure. Well, Cade, thrilled that you're in college basketball. We can't wait to see you play this season. I appreciate your time and stay safe. No, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. And now joining me here on March Madness and March Madness 365 from Howard University, Kenny Blakeney and McCour Maker. Uh, pleasure to talk to both of you. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time since this decision was made. So let's first dive into that aspect first. Uh, I'll deal with you, McCour, first, and then I want to hear Kenny's reaction and how it all unfolded. Uh, because you easily could have, McCour, gone through the G League. Whether or not there is a G League this year, you could have played overseas. Uh, you could have gone, you know, many different directions, um, obviously to a projected higher level within Division One, But you chose to go to Howard and to play college basketball. Why? Um, getting to that decision, you know, choosing to go to college and going to Howard University itself, you know, I was, you know, I entered my name in the draft. I'm not sure if you've known of that, but, you know, I took, I withdraw from the draft and, after my visit at Howard University during homecoming weekend, um, you know, speaking with Coach Kenny Blakeney and his staff also, you know, it was just the perfect fit for me at the time, you know, knowing that, um, knowing my game and knowing that, you know, if I was to go to college, you know, it'd be a, it'd be a, it'd be a different story. And, you know, competing with the guys that are going to college right now. But, you know, talking with Coach Kenny Blakeney, you know, he's, he's putting me in, you know, many positions to be a leadership. You know, he's got me up pistol action. He got me, you know, uh, pushing the ball, playing in the post, playing in the perimeter. And, you know, that one year of college would be fun. You know, I wanted to play college basketball, you know, and, you know, grow my leadership, you know, and help guys, you know, help the team win also. So, you know, despite of that and going to Howard University itself with all the social unrest and, you know, I think it's important to bring awareness towards, you know, the topic itself of, you know, racism and, you know, discrimination and things that are happening. I think, 
you know, when I committed to HBCU, people were shocked. But, you know, I've said this on all, all my interviews, you know, it was, was kind of like a norm towards us because, you know, HBCUs were the best and maintained by us. And, you know, I think it's only right that, you know, I committed and it's kind of reawakening the top players and top recruits to, you know, consider HBCUs, not, not only basketball, but track and, you know, swimmers and everything like that. Yeah, the timing was impeccable, obviously, at a time when for those in this country that clearly weren't paying attention, whether it was to systemic racism or to HBCUs. I mean, now, obviously, with uh, Senator Kamala Harris, a Howard alum on the ticket for the Democrats, I mean, that obviously, and I'm not trying to be political, I mean, that's just a fact that she's an alum of Howard, which is great to have Howard in the news even more. Uh, So, Kenny, let me go to you about pulling back the curtain about how this all transpired, because it obviously couldn't have been just overnight that he withdraws from the draft and he's staying with his commitment to Howard University. Well, it started with a relationship that I have with Coach Ed Smith, someone that has been a mentor, guardian, a coach to McCore and uh, many others. Coach Smith is a Washingtonian, as I am. Uh, I've known Coach Smith for a number of years, and uh, our relationship has kind of gotten stronger over the years. Uh, with my work in the grassroots area while I was out of coaching. And then when I got back in coaching at Columbia University. So um, I've been in touch with Coach Smith. I've followed Thon Maker, who was McCore's cousin, uh, Mature Maker, who was another one of uh, McCore's cousins over the years as they've gone through the grassroots circuit and have just stayed in touch and saw McCore at a young age uh, be a rising superstar in the, the grassroots market. And, uh, Always was with my conversations with Coach Smith, understood that, you know, that that maybe uh, looking at McCord down the road, his situation may be a little bit different. Um, that, you know, seeing his move from Australia to Canada to California and kind of watching McCord just kind of blaze his own trail, um, you know, it was always a what if kind of conversation. And with having those conversations over the years, kind of seeing McCore blossom into a young man that didn't matter where he went to school. Uh, he could have gone to Kentucky. He could have gone to UCLA. He could have gone to Duke. Uh, but choosing Howard, I think, says a lot about who he is as a person, says a lot about who he believes he is as a basketball player. Um, and it gives him an opportunity, I think, to, you know, for the world to kind of see the type of person that he is. McCore chose Howard on July 3rd. Since then, he's had over 1 billion social media impressions, uh, which kind of equates to about $4 million in marketing exposure for himself. Um, For him to have the understanding and the foresight uh, and the wisdom uh, to see down the line in some of those different aspects is such a, 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 you know, I think a a feather in his hat of who he is and how he looks at things. Uh, And also his leadership in being the first to uh, be a five-star guy to go to an HBCU. Um, Thinking about what's going on in our country with the murder of Mr. George Floyd, the social unrest that we're going on in our country, and along with Black Lives Matter, uh, to make that decision at such a pivotal point in our country to bring awareness to those topics is such a strong statement about what young man McCormaker is. It was a trailblazing decision. The fact that he followed it up after withdrawing from the NBA draft speaks volumes for you as well. But before I get to you again, McCor, I'm just curious, Kenny, uh, as great as all this sounded and you just laid out all his other opportunities that were out there for him, why did you really believe that someone of his stature, character, name recognition was going to still honor that commitment and go to Howard? 
McCor's word has always been his word. Um, and that's how it's, how it's been from day one. Um, coming here to Howard on homecoming last year, uh, spending time with him person to person, uh, looking into his eyes, having seen the respect of Howard University and what Howard stands for, the great alums as a third good marshal, uh, a Kamala Harris, who you mentioned earlier, a Senator Elijah Cummings that just passed recently, Chadwick Bozeman. Like the, the list of alums that have positioned, uh, you know, th- this university for a moment like this is, is it's it just kind of when it happened, it ignited. And I think, uh, you know, with with our brand, with his brand, um, with the due diligence that both sides had to do to understand that this was something that could really work and happen, it had to be an open hearted conversation on both ends for this to work. And, and I think the the integrity and the dignity that went into this recruitment on both ends uh, is what the result that you see from this today. So, McCor, obviously, as I mentioned, the timing is perfect to do something like this, to make this decision to go to an HBCU. But still, I'm sure there were doubters who said, well, come on, you know, you could go to Kentucky, Duke, UCLA. I mean, what was the reaction when you said, no, 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 I'm serious. This is what I'm going to do. It kind of, you know, reaches back to, you know, the hours you spend in the gym in the mornings. And I've played against the top competition, you know, during my AAU. I played against Chet. Uh, you know, played against Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, you know, Big O. But I'll be real with you. The one thing that I noticed was, you know, I was always guarding the best player, but the best players weren't guarding me. You know, it was it was kind of, you know, situations like that. So, you know, when it comes into that situation and going to a school, you know, I pictured myself that it doesn't matter what school I'm going to go to as long as, you know, the culture is there and the culture is to work and, you know, get better every single day. It doesn't matter who we compete in, night in, night out. So, you know, when that happened, when I was going to Howard University, it, it wasn't a you know, publicity stunt or anything like that. You know, it was like, you know, for real, I'm going to Howard University. And then I think people were kind of shocked when they see me on campus. So like, okay, yeah, that's that's kind of true now. But, you know, that, that's kind of my thought process, thought, thought process on that. So as Kenny just mentioned, the maker name, relatives have, you know, made this journey through basketball. What was your journey like, you know, hopping from country to country to get to this point? Yeah, it's tough. You know, every move we made was for competition. Um, to be honest with you, come come going to Australia to I mean from Australia to America was uh, you know, because I was looking at my cousins while I was in Australia. They was they were over here at the time before me. They started playing basketball. And, you know, I wanted to get better. I wanted to, you know, play the game of basketball. I took it seriously after I stopped playing soccer and everything. I was like, okay, you know, what, what do I have to do to be a top player in the U.S.? Okay, I'm going to have to work. I'm going to have to wake up at a certain time. I'm going to have to, you know, get, get my extra shots in. You know, do things, you know, because I have, still have to catch up room to do, you know, to compete with my peers. So, you know, starting doing that, um, you know, just working, you know, moving from California to Canada was because of competition, moving back from Canada to California because the number one player was in California at the time, you know, just things like that. You know, I'm always hunting. I'm always looking at guys and, you know, I'm always, you know, observing. So, you know, that definitely was the case. You know, Kenny, this is not a diss on American players, but I'm always so impressed with the passion and the work ethic for international players that really have to earn it and, you know, go through various forms of sacrifice to get to this point. Uh, at all levels of what they've gone through. Um, and what you're hearing there from McCor, I mean, clearly he was hunting the competition. He knew he needed to get better. And there's a hunger there that, 
unless you've experienced what he's experienced and others like him, it's hard to replicate. What, what are your thoughts? Well, Andy, I, uh, two days ago, I wake up early and uh, I'm about to watch some videotape or practice from the night before. And I get to my computer and we have this system that you can watch what's going on in the gym live time. And it's 546 in the morning and McCore's in there shooting jump shots. And I'm like, you know, that's the dedication that he has. 5.30, 5.46 a.m., he's shooting jump shots. Uh, he's got yoga at 7 a.m. He's got weights at 8 a.m. You know, and then he has his class schedule and has his practices with us. So his commitment to being the best player that he can possibly be isn't just lip service. He's actually walking the walk and putting the work in. Um, he's going to have an extremely bright future. And I think he's going to be one of the top three players in the NBA draft this year coming up. So with this, obviously comes some expectation and some pressure, Kenny. And I know there are a lot of other extenuating factors for only winning four games last season. Uh, and I know he's not the only one and whether or not you get Purdue transfer, no Joel Eastern eligible or not through a waiver. Um, you've got other talent. You've got other bigs we can talk about in a moment here, but that responsibility of having someone like McCour for this season an unprecedented season, a season we have no idea how it's going to go. It's not a normal year. What's that responsibility like for you as the head coach? I think it's, it's going to be fun. And I, I look at it as an, an opportunity to, to get better as a coach. Um, you know, we all are competitive and we all want to get better. I spent my summer uh, learning from a lot of NBA teams, spending time with the Wizards, spending time with the Utah Jazz, spending time with the New York Knicks, spending time with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, You know, I touched base with as many people on the basketball end as I could so that we can position McCor to be the best that he could be for this time that he's going to be with us. Um, That was important to us. And that was something that in our recruitment uh, we talked about. So I had to really take this opportunity to get better which, you know, we all should be doing as, you know, McCoy's doing it. I know he was on three times a day workouts. You know, while he was doing that, I was kind of doing the same thing on my end. Uh, You know, so the opportunity to try to play and compete this year is going to be a lot of fun. I don't think it's going to be pressure. We won four games last year. Um, You know, we had a very new squad. We had freshmen. We had guys that that are not in the program now. Uh, So moving forward, I really feel that we have an opportunity to take a step, but it's just going to be competition. We'll be prepared and, uh, you know, we'll have to just lace them up against the teams that are on our schedule and we have to face. So, McCoy, you just laid out uh, how you embrace that competition, literally hunting it from Australia to this part of the world. Uh, But as I mentioned to Kenny, there's going to be pressure, there's expectations. How much do you embrace all those eyes are going to be on you at Howard in the MIAC, and around college basketball? I just can't wait till, you know, season starts. Um, you know, we have a great group of guys, you know, the teammates, everybody, you know, is awesome. You know, Jordan Woods, you know, Khalil Robinson, you know, Joe Easton. Um, but, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun piggybacking over what Coach said. You know, we're having a lot of fun in practice. We've got a great group of guys. And, you know, it's our chance to really go, you know, compete against the best teams in the country and really prove ourselves. So, you know, despite all that, I think, you know, everybody's just excited about the season and what we're going coming in day in and day out. And, you know, we want that competition also. All right. A couple quick hitters here. Kenny, we just mentioned it. You teased it. Um, what else? Do you have around McCour that you think this can be a much more successful season? 
Well, the way we've kind of positioned our team, Andy, is that we, we like to play positionless basketball. Um, we can have four young men on our team that are 6'10 or taller on the court at the same time, along with someone that's like 6'7, six, 6'8. Six, um, so, you know, in building this thing, we're looking at, you know, some of the NBA teams. We're looking at the Toronto Raptors. We're looking at the Milwaukee Bucks. We're looking at what the Miami Heat's doing down there. And that's how we're constructing and building our program. You know, we would love our program to be something that's sustainable. And in saying that, you know, it's important for our younger guys because we're very young. Uh, even though McCor is, you know, one of the best players in the country, he's still a freshman. Um, so we're going to be very young. So in building this thing, we have to continue to develop and, and I think grow our young talent. Uh, so, you know, for as long as McCor is here, when he leaves, those other guys in the program can have some growth and development as well. So I'm excited about the young guys we have. They're very talented. Uh, they're very tall. They're very skilled. Um, they just haven't had the chance to play on the collegiate level yet. So I'm looking forward to our game on November 26th when we open up in the Paradise Jam here in Washington, D.C. And excited to kind of showcase what we've been working really hard at doing. All right, McCoy, this is your chance to share the wealth a little with your teammates who specifically that we can get a little shout out here that we'll be watching in addition to you. No shout out, no Joe Easton. You know, he's tough. You know, I've been waiting for him to come back and, you know, he's recovery and everything. Um, you know, these guys on the team, Wayne Bristol, you know, Steve Settle, you know, Khalil Robinson, you know, just from the roster going all the way up. These guys, you know, come at me every day in practice and make sure that I'm getting better, you know, make sure that I'm in the zigzag with Raheem and Khalil Robinson. You know, just picking back with what Coach said, you know, we, we're definitely a long team. You know, we can all play position on this ball. You know, we're kind of, you know, we're playing at a mid-major level, looking to play at an elite level, like Gonzaga or Butler when, you know, Coach Brad Steven was there. You know, just that type of mentality. And, you know, Coach KB, Coach Tyler, Coach Jake, you know, there's nothing but leadership from them. You know, they all me about every day about not slipping and, you know, being a leader on the team. But, you know, definitely, you know, the teammates and everything, everybody's excited for the season. Can't wait. All right, Kenny, for those that know the name but don't know the player, what would be your scouting breakdown of McCormaker. Maker? Well, I think you have somebody that is extremely skilled. Um, there's nothing in the game that McCore can't do. He is somebody that can dominate the game from uh, his passing ability. He shoots the ball as well as anybody in the country. Um, you know, that's one of the things I think that was even more impressive to me, how well he really shoots the ball. I knew he shot it well, but I didn't know he shot it this well. Um, he goes through drills where he's shooting three-pointers and NBA three-pointers at a 70% clip. Um, and that's the work that he's been putting in, uh, you know, since he's been, you know, working with his cousin Thon and Mature and, and Coach Ed Smith. His physicalness is really, I think, shocking and impressive. Um, he's a guy that likes to play with contact. And a lot of guys that are taller players that are more – see themselves as a positionless kind of player, don't enjoy playing with contact. And he loves playing with contact. His shot blocking ability is elite. And uh, I'm just happy that he's a bison and looking forward to the country, seeing all the things that he can do within his skill set. He's a guy that is truly unique and, you know, almost almost like a unicorn type player, uh, especially you know, for Howard and for college basketball for this year. Um, I think the whole college basketball world is going to have the eyes on our program, and we're looking forward to that. All right, McCor, if there's one skill 
that you definitely need to get better at over the next month? What is it? Definitely uh, shot blocking. I'd say that you know it's, it's something that it's something that I do have ability to do. But being at the high school level, I was getting caught with ticky tack fouls. Even you know you know how it goes in the high school level. You know whenever you you know being over aggressive, they're gonna call you for this and that. But you know, given at the college, you know you're playing against guys who've been there for four years. So you know, I'm definitely going there and trying to block everything. But you know, that's definitely one thing that you know I just want to expand. All right, last thing. Uh, you mentioned former soccer player. Outside of soccer, whether it's well-versed in languages, music, what's another skill that we don't know about you? You know, a lot of people don't know that I fish. I know when the virus and everything broke down, there was a little lake that was right next to us. And, you know, my family and I would go over there and we would fish. And, you know, that, that's just something that, you know, I do in, in the meantime. I'll give you some peace of mind, of course. And last thing for you, Kenny, uh, amid COVID, like I said, this is an unprecedented season in every facet. How has it been working just to keep your players safe, everyone on the court, masking, and, you know, obviously dealing with all the protocols that you have to to get to this season? Thank you for asking that, Andy. That's a great question. We have our guys in a bubble as much as possible. Um, They are all in apartments. And they all have their single rooms that have a kitchen, shower, full-size shower, full-size bathroom. So they have their own space, which is, you know, great for them and and allows them to kind of quarantine in a way when they're not at the gym to have a little bit more of a better quality of life. Their footprint pretty much is their apartment, the gym, maybe some eating establishments that are in the vicinity of our university. And that's kind of it. We get tested three times a week, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, as a staff, we are wearing masks in practice. We're masked full, full times uh, all, all the time around our guys and in our facility. I think this is a, probably the first time that McCord's probably seen me without a mask, see my good looking face. <laughs> but uh, I've been so complimentary and uh, so happy with our guys, Andy, with their discipline and their diligence in this unprecedented times right now that we're experiencing. They've been unbelievable. And I think it just shows the commitment that they have to trying to make this thing work the best that they can this year. Well, I'll tell you, I'm so glad that I finally caught up with the two of you. Can't wait to see Howard play this season. Fingers crossed that we get as much of a season, a full season as possible. And it's going to be a pleasure to chart how you guys all do. Kenny Blakeney and McCormaker Maker from Howard University. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Andy. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. And now joining me here, March Madness, March Madness 365, Chad Acock from Turner Sports. We like to call this March Chadness. Um, Chad, uh, as we are getting closer and closer to the start of the season, we're in the month of November. There will be college basketball games this month, which is crazy when you think about how all our lives in this sport stopped on March 12th, and we didn't know when we'd have games again. Uh, Just before we get to this, I mean, what are you feeling right now knowing that this month we are anticipating actually seeing college games again. <laughs> yeah, for me it uh, it feels like years, not months, uh, that we've been waiting on college basketball. It was a long off season, but uh, here we are. It's November. There's college basketball happening this month. I'm excited. You know, I kind of feel like a kid that's been waiting on Christmas, and uh, it's almost here. So at times it feels too good to be true, but uh, no, <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, it, it, these months have felt like dog years. You know, just it seems like another life when we were 
bouncing around, covering games and everything. So hopefully, fingers crossed, everything goes smoothly. So with that as a backdrop, we've been looking at various uh, lists of sort of getting ready for the season. And this week, I wanted to throw at you um, the top freshmen for this season, but with a twist. Not necessarily a talent evaluation, even though a lot of these guys are, of course, in the top 10, 15, 20 of the rankings, but more about where we see the impact this season, the manner in which they will have a major impact on their respective teams and potential conferences. Yeah, we're going to be looking at some great players here. And, you know, to be an impact freshman, you got to be a great player. But like you said, this is not uh, the order of how talented these freshmen are. This is not your power rankings uh, of freshmen. This is the impact that these guys are going to have on their teams this season. Uh, You sent me your list, 15 to 1. Let's start at 15 with uh, Greg Brown at Texas. He was a McDonald's All-American. He's the only freshman in the Texas recruiting class. And they brought almost everybody back. So with that in mind, what kind of impact do you think Greg Brown will have uh, on the Longhorns? Well, remember, Greg Brown really flirted with potentially going to the G League for that developmental league and decided to stay and honor his commitment to Shaka Smart. And I do think Greg Brown uh, will have a major impact because he doesn't have to be that star. This is a Texas team that's probably the deepest roster that Shaka Smart has had. Uh, You pair him with Jericho Sims, however much he's going to play, Starter minutes, but maybe not starting. Um, the backcourt of Matt Coleman and Andrew Jones, uh, they've got experience. And so you bring in a high-profile freshman like this who doesn't have the weight of the world on top of him. I think it allows for even a better seamless freshman season uh, without all that pressure. All right. And so you went Greg Brown at Texas. Who are some other guys, you know, 15, maybe the honorable mention type of guys that you also considered uh, on the back end of this list? A couple pair of freshmen from Tennessee. It was hard to decide between the two. Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson. You could go either direction. They could easily be on this list. Um, This is a veteran, experienced Tennessee team that doesn't need necessarily like impact freshmen, but these freshmen will have an impact uh, on this upcoming season for the Vols. Okay, let's stay in the SEC. We've got Sharif Cooper out of Auburn. Uh, Fun fact, this is the second straight year that the Tigers' top signee uh, has come out of McEachern High School in Powder Springs, Georgia. Last year, they signed Isaac Okoro, and they're back again with Sharif Cooper. Uh, after losing their entire starting five, though, I feel like Cooper has just a, a wide-open lane uh, to leave a big impact. I really liked your pick here. I Honestly, I think he could have cracked your top 10 just because of how much Auburn lost and just how much minutes he'll get, how much of an opportunity he'll have. Uh, but Andy, what do you think Sharif Cooper's impact would be like at Auburn? Well, to your point, I think he will flourish under Bruce Pearl, and... They're going to need that position. I think he'll be given the green light. And I I think you will see major production out of Cooper early and often. Obviously, Bruce has done an outstanding job with his backcourt, with his guards, with his playmakers. And so, yes, I could have put Sharif higher. Um, I'm a little still unsure how good Auburn's going to be. But I don't hesitate to think that they will be better than projected. And uh, we had him in our top five in the SEC. Yeah, Bruce Pearl, good point about his point guards. Even uh, Jared Harper, point guard out of Georgia. So Sharif Cooper hopefully can fall on those tracks. I sense a Georgia influence here from you. That's right, yeah. I mean, Auburn's right on the border of Alabama and Georgia, so they're able to dip in there a good bit. Uh, Number 13, Musa Cisse out of Memphis. Uh, Great length, five-star center, stayed home, is from Memphis. You know, the last five-star center only played three games. Some guy named James Wiseman, you may have heard of him, Andy. But this time, you know, they're hoping to get a little bit more uh, run out of CSA. What kind of impact do you think he'll have? Well, Penny Hardaway thinks the squad is going to be comparable to last season in terms of 
Um, you know, very talented, can run up and down, uh, be very difficult to stop offensively. And, you know, Cissé, I think, will be, I mean, you know, he's not projected, obviously, to be as good as James Weissman, but I think he will be used similarly. And so to that point, I think Penny's going to really lean heavily on him and expect a lot out of him here early. Yeah, that length is hard to match. You know, a guy that even if he doesn't give you a whole bunch offensively, like, you know, can't score on his own, you know, he's got size. He can play defense. Uh, he can rim protect and catch lops. So we'll see what he can do there. Number 12, a guy you've talked about before, Andy, Cliff Amarui for Rutgers. This is back-to-back, 6'10 centers making your list. Uh, but this one is a consensus top 50 pick that is the highest-rated signee uh, in the Steve Pico era of Rutgers basketball. What kind of impact do you think this is going to have on a Rutgers team that's already going to be pretty good? So this is a great example, Chad, of I'm not judging him on you know the rankings because you're right. He was ranked below Cooper and Springer and Cissé, but I think he will have more of an impact on a team that I think could go further, um, not further than Tennessee necessarily, but you know further than Memphis and Auburn. And they've got Miles Johnson inside to compete with Omri, and the two of them are going to battle for that five position. You could argue that Cliff is a little bit more skilled. Uh, Miles Johnson, a very good rim protector. We'll see how they basically balance out. But I think he's going to have a major impact for Rutgers team that has a chance to finish in the top four in the Big Ten. And and if he's ready to go, uh, he'll be a huge say in that. That's right. Number 11, Jalen Johnson uh, for Duke. Just about every year we could put one or two guys on this list from Duke, UNC, Kentucky. But you've got Jalen Johnson. He's a 6'8 small forward that really has the skills of a point guard. He grew up playing point guard, but then he had a big growth spurt. Uh, so you might see him handling the ball a good bit. But what other kind of impacts do you think Jalen Johnson will have on Duke? Well, this is a Duke team that, much like Kentucky, which we'll talk about momentarily, is going to lean on their freshman class. They've got some returnees, guys like uh, certainly Matthew Hurt, who I think is going to have a banner year for the Blue Devils. But Jalen Johnson is going to be so the next in line of the big-time freshman recruits who's going to get a lot of run, going to have his hand on the ball quite a bit. And so because of that, I think you're going to see his name come up a lot when we're discussing Duke this season. Yep. Now let's get into your top 10. You've got Zaire Williams for Stanford, another wing. Uh, He heads to Stanford from Sierra Canyon. Uh, What do you like about Zaire Williams and the impact he could have on the Stanford Cardinal? So first of all, a massive coup for Jared Haas in getting Zaire. Uh, now he's not Tyrell Terry. He's not a lead point guard, but talent wise, you know, he fills that void. You put him next to Oscar Da Silva, who'll be playing inside and they've got a nice one, two punch potentially, uh, of productivity. And, you know, I just think that he's going to get a lot of touches and will have a big impact on whether or not if the Cardinal finish in the top four in the PAC 12. All right, number nine, Scotty Barnes, Florida State. Uh, FSU kind of tying into last week, a team that really flies under the radar, both just as a program and recruiting. You know, over the last several years, they've signed some big-name five-star top 40 guys, Malik Beasley, Dwayne Bacon, Jonathan Isaac, MJ Walker, Patrick Williams last year, and now they've got Scotty Barnes. Uh, what do you like for Scotty Barnes to do down in Tallahassee? Well, you're, you're right. Although I would argue that a lot of the Florida State guys that have excelled you know, end up being the players that aren't highly rated, that develop very well under Leonard Hamilton. Now, here comes Scotty Barnes, you know, big rep uh, and is going to be used quite a bit. And I just think Leonard does a sensational job, um, especially with his front court. I mean, the development of those forward centers continue to, uh, you know, produce NBA talent. 
and especially on the defensive end. And so I think, you know, if Barnes is coachable, as I would think he would be if he's going to play for Leonard Hamilton, then, uh, you know, he's going to flourish in that system. Yeah, it's a great point about the development. Uh, I think Devin Vassell was a was a three-star recruit coming out of high school, uh, and here he is, could be end up being a lottery pick. Number eight, McCour Maker for Howard. This is a guy that, if we're looking at impact off the court, he'd probably be number one. I mean, picking at HBCU, made national headlines. Uh, he's made it kind of trendy and, and cool and, and just bringing the spotlight to the HBCUs that they deserve. So shout out to McCour Maker for that alone. But then on the court, he's super talented alone there too. He could easily be the most talented player in the MEAC. What do you like that he can bring to this Howard team? Yeah, I mean, we could easily put him higher. Um, the reason I didn't was, you know, this is a four-win team last season. Uh, as good as Maker is, you know, let's assume Nogel Eastern plays the transfer from Purdue. They're going to be better than four wins. You know, are they going to unseat North Carolina Central, which has been a more of a dominant team lately in the MEAC? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, you know, big year for Kenny Blakeney. You hear him on this podcast. We, you know, heard Maker. Uh, and it was great to have them here, part of the podcast uh, this week. Uh, so look, and, and as Maker said, he's been working on his face-up game, um, loves the challenges, loves the competition. He can bury that deep shot as well as being obviously inside. And so having Maker on this list, I think, is a must. And maybe by season's end, we'll be talking about him in the top three. Yeah, wouldn't that be something? Number seven, Caleb Love, UNC. Uh, so now we reach our annual UNC player that makes this list. Yes. Uh, but he replaces Cole Anthony as the lead guard for the Tar Heels. Uh, I think Cole Anthony had about a 30%, 31% usage rate for the Tar Heels. So Caleb Love should step right into those minutes, right into the ball handling. What kind of impact do you think he has on a UNC team that should have a pretty good front court uh, for Love to use? Yeah, and, and Love is going to have a better team to play with than Cole Anthony. We didn't all anticipate they were going to really struggle last season or Cole Anthony was going to get hurt. But I think that benefits Caleb Love even more than Anthony is that his numbers will look even better because I think they're going to win a lot more games and they're going to be much more competitive in the top three or four in the ACC. So I think that's a huge benefit for Love going into the season. Obviously, it's a season like no other. But, um, you know, he comes in, he's going to have a, a very finished product to feed in Garrison Brooks, who really blossomed last season, but really will become a much bigger leader this season. So this Carolina team is, I think, ready to roll and, and be back where we expect them to be. All right. And then another freshman for the Tar Heels that Caleb Love could also use is potentially Walker Kessler is just like a pick and pop guy. Uh, Kessler, his dad and uncle were all American type of players at Georgia. And then Walker, uh, his brother, uh, Houston, was a five year guy at Georgia. So. Uh, a couple of different freshmen could work out there for UNC. But at number six, you've got Evan Mobley. This is the brother of 2019 five-star Isaiah Mobley. Evan's two inches taller, though. So now you've got, what, three Mobleys in the program, if you want to count their dad, Eric, who's an assistant coach. Their new slogan might as well be fight on Mobleys. But what do you like that uh, Evan brings to the table this season? Well, if USC is going to make the tournament, Mobley, Mobleys will have a huge say in it. Uh, replacing uh, Onyekwe Akongwu, big shoes to fill. In his freshman year, I mean, he's got potential, uh, Chad, of being a top three pick in the NBA draft later this month. Uh, but Mobley comes in with a lot of hype, and I think that uh, a lot of the offense could be funneled through him. And he, you know, he's got big shoulders, and he expects to, to shoulder that. And uh, I think Andy Enfield has got a team that's ready to write there to challenge to be in that top four, potentially in the Pac-12. All right. Now, when we jump into the top five, we're going to stay in the Pac-12 with Josh Christopher of Arizona State. This is a guy that I feel like if if Arizona State is truly going to be a Final Four dark horse, kind of like we hinted at uh, a few weeks ago in the pod, this is a guy that has to step up and have that immediate impact that we're talking about here. 
So what does Josh Christopher bring to the table that has earned him a spot in the top five? Well, with Arizona State, they, you know, I mean, obviously Lou Dort was a one and done. So they've had players like this under Bobby Hurley. Uh, but the timing is perfect for Christopher because you've got a seasoned one-two punch of Remy Martin and Alonzo Verge Jr. And so I think Christopher just fits right in. Uh, doesn't have to dominate the ball because Remy Martin will do that. So I think that allows him to be even more productive, more selective with his shots. You know, unlike a Mobley, I think he's going to have much more funneled through him. Christopher doesn't necessarily need that. And I think that will benefit the Sun Devils because his maturation will be a little bit slower. And that's OK. Not as much pressure on him. Yeah. If if, uh, if Remy Martin draws some double teams on the drive, you might look for Josh Christopher for be open for a catch and shoot three or something like that. So, yeah, could have a pretty good impact right away. Number four, Jalen Suggs, uh, Gonzaga. Uh, this is a guy that was actually recruited to play football by several uh, Power 5 schools, but wisely chose basketball. It appears he's more talented in basketball. Uh, the Zags will lose Ryan Woolridge. They'll lose Admon Gilder. Those kind of minutes you might think would go to Suggs. But what do you like about Suggs and the Zags? What I love about Suggs is that, you know, he comes in as an incredibly highly touted and talented player for Gonzaga, a team that, you know, I think could win the national championship. But like Christopher, all the pressure isn't on him. And I think that's really critical, that he won't feel that. And so because of that, I think you're going to see him really play with more purpose, less pressure, because they've got so many veteran players on this team. But they haven't had a player like Suggs, but you pair him with Joel Ayayi in the backcourt, and I think it'll be a seamless transition. All right. Now, number three. Terrence Clark of Kentucky. And then if you just want to jump to number two, you've got B.J. Boston at Kentucky. So three and two, you're looking at a pair of Wildcats uh, that check in. You know, we mentioned the Kentucky's Dukes, uh, UNC's of the world always have these types of players. But you've got two from Kentucky in the top three. Why is that? Well, because it's been very difficult to choose which ones. And uh, Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston uh, could be one or two, whoever you choose to be their best player, because I'm hearing both of them are flourishing for John Calipari. They're going to get plenty of productivity out of uh, offensively. Um, I think they'll play D for Cal. Uh, they will be two of the best players in the SEC. And I think we'll rotate touting each one of those uh, over the course of this season. Yeah, and at 6'6 six, six and 6'7, six, they both have pretty good size. So that'll be fun to watch over in Lexington. But number one on your list is also number one uh, from a talent perspective across the country, and it's, it's no secret. It's Kate Cunningham, Oklahoma State. Uh, he was high school teammates with Scotty Barnes, but the 6'8 point guard pretty much offers a mismatch to anyone he's going to face. But what kind of impact do you think he's going to have on Oklahoma State and the Big 12? So um, I think Kate Cunningham is going to be a once-in-a-decade type player for Oklahoma State. He'll have a major impact on the Big 12. He will be able to do a little bit of everything. When we talked to him for this podcast, I brought up LeBron, not just to compare him to LeBron, but as someone who could just bring the ball up and play a bunch of different positions. And, you know, with LeBron, you don't necessarily say, oh, he's a point guard, but he's a playmaker. Kay Cunningham considers himself a playmaker. Doesn't like to be pigeonholed into one particular position. And I think that's what you'll see. I think Mike Boynton will really use him in that way. And he'll be all over the floor. A joy to watch a player that's going to put up great numbers, play both ends of the court, and uh, really maximize his time with Oklahoma State. Yeah, I think Luca Garza is probably the favorite for National Player of the Year, but this is one freshman uh, that could give him a run for it. So I'm excited. These are all guys that you know a lot of fans may not know, that, you know the fans of these teams may know, but nationally, they're not all household names yet, but uh, I think they will be this season. I agree, Chad. Can't wait for all this to start. 
And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. A big shout out and thanks to Turner Sports' Chad Acock, Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, Sean Bartley, and our entire NCAA.com team. As always, stay safe. We'll talk to you next week.